Hello and welcome to CNN Slate. The name CNN Slate pays homage to our ancestral knowledge sharing. Sienna taken from the color of clay, from the earth that was used as a medium, uh, a writing tool, and Slate referencing a blank slate, a tablet or a stone. These are the stories that won't get told anywhere else. Through a collective of deep conversation, storytelling, and sage advice, we celebrate the interconnected aspects of genius, resilience, scholarship, and well-being for writers, thinkers, and doers. You're in the right place. I'm Dr. Keogh, and in this episode, I share the space with Dana Cannon Bryson, founder and director of the Building Young Moguls Incorporated, also instructor at City University for, of New York Medgar Edwards College, and a children's book author. She wears many hats. I did not do her intro justice. However, I'm gonna uh, really want to welcome Dana at this time. Thanks for joining me on the recording and, and the podcast. I'm so glad we were able to connect. Yes, thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Like I said, I did not give your intro justice <laughs> uh, because you wear so many hats, but yes. specifically, um, Take, us, take a few minutes to share with us your origin story. How did you get here? And then what, what inspired you to become not only an instructor, but to start the Building Young Locals um, program that you have? Okay, um, so welcome. Hello, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, so I did not know much about entrepreneurship um, at all. Uh, I was introduced mm -hmm. to entrepreneurship from my brother who's also an academic as well, but um, he was in finance and trading on Wall Street and he decided to start his own financial firm. And then I started working with him from a very young age. Um, so, but even though I was working for him, I still didn't think I was an entrepreneur. I was just, I just wanted mm. a job. Um, but uh, everything started, all the dots started connecting uh, after I got out of grad school and I, um, After I got out of grad school and uh, I went into corporate America and I didn't like it. Like I didn't like the, uh, it was, it was robotic. It was, it was things mm. that were happening on a continuing ba continuous basis. Um, I was working in finance. I had an English degree. I had a master's in political science. So it was all kind of weird anyway that I was working in finance. Uh, I have a financial skill set from my brother, but I don't mm -hmm. have a financial academic background. That's not what I saw for my future. And I didn't really know how to find what I really wanted my future to be. Even when I reached out to my instructors and my mentors, they were just kind of telling me what they wanted me to do and yeah. not, you know, anything other than that, you know? So um, ultimately I started working for my brother again in and out of corporate America. And then I decided to launch my own business going into digital branding design because I saw a hole in the market. I saw a need in the market actually for people wanting to go online. And this is before social media really even took off the way it did. I started my business and started offering support to entrepreneurs really as a virtual assistant at first because I had a writing, a strong writing background. So I just wanted to do the writing, the email, the correspondences. And then I invested in my own classes and my own coursework. And then I started doing a lot more things. So um, me becoming an entrepreneur was really an evolution of finding myself. Um, even with me teaching, that is not what I set out to do. It's just something that kind of became. Yeah. Yeah. So you you started 
in all in multiple spaces yes right yeah and multiple backgrounds so uh, political science and english and all of the finance yeah and then it just kind of as you as you poked a little and and became curious yeah. and then got into these spaces of maybe a virtual assistant and then maybe i'll do this and maybe i'll do this then you begin to settle into maybe your uh what is it your your rhythm if you will yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, my business, um, Dana Cannon Bryson Inc., has been around for eight years now. That is um, the one that makes the most income for me. Uh, mm -hmm. It didn't. It was not a passion project. It was just for income, to be honest with you. Um, as a need grew for social media content creators mm -hmm. and support, my business just naturally grew with it. But inside of that process, especially people going into the coaching realm and different spaces, I found my voice. Um, mm. People started asking me to come in and do workshops about branding at the university because I still had an mm -hmm. academic support and network. Um, they the, the colleges were getting involved with this now all of a sudden. So I was getting paid to do workshops. And then I said, I like teaching. Mm. Right. And this is something that I liked as a child, but I didn't explore it. But I realized that, OK, I like teaching. And then I started going live and I started doing master classes and stuff on things that I knew. And then all of a sudden I said um, somebody reached out to me and they asked me like, hey, have you ever considered being an adjunct? Somebody that was in one of my workshops, she became my boss. Uh, she was in one mm -hmm. of the workshops I did at the colleges. And I said, no. What is it? You know, never. Yeah. <laughs> right. You yeah. Know? It was like, oh, you come in and you teach the curriculum and um, we'll give you the, the textbooks. You read it. You you create a curriculum and you teach. And I was just like, I'll try it out. And mm -hmm. I absolutely loved. I love academia, but I love teaching in academia. Yeah. That's where mm -hmm. I really started to become this person that now is been a professor for like four or five years and speaking engagements and writing books it was from that opportunity that came because i decided to be mm -hmm. what do you love what do you love about teaching and, and being on the professor side of academia um their interaction the interaction yeah. with the students um when i think about it as a student i was always someone who uh, love to participate in class, love to share ideas and being on the other side, but still sharing ideas. Academia is a little mm -hmm. bit different than the DOE, right? We're not just saying, here's the information. It's like a collaborative yeah. effort, right? So I think that part of it, and I was learning too, because I love to learn. So while my students, I'm teaching my students the content the students are teaching me about their own perspectives and understandings. And then I got an opportunity to do college now. And they said, hey, have you ever thought about doing young people? And I was just like, uh, no. And they were like, you should try it. We got an opening. You want it? I'm like, oh, yeah, I need some extra money, you know, some extra classes to make sure. some money. And that's when I found that I love this specific age group between 15 to 17 years old. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what you teach and then college now. What? Yeah. So I teach uh, intro to political science, poli sci mm -hmm. 101, which is basic course. Um, and I also teach a, a development course for new 
students. So when you come into the campus, you you need to learn financial literacy, time management, navigating the campuses, um, the culture of the institution. Mine was Mega Evers College, so we have to learn about Mega Evers. And because we're learning about Mega Evers, I infuse political, mm. not political science, but I teach them about voting rights because that's what we vote. Um, you know, that's what we fought for. So yeah. I teach them about voting rights. I teach them about the civil rights movement. I kind of created my own curriculum, you know, put my little ones and twos inside of, of course. it. Of course. Towards me. But yeah, we teach um, critical thinking. Uh, we teach uh, emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. We teach um, study habits, stuff like that. Generally. Yeah. So all of, yeah, all of the, the very important basic foundational things yeah. that, that new students coming into this college space or thinking about coming into this college space um, really need to be successful. So when you think about these these students um, coming into Medgar Evers, right? This this space, this cultural space, mm -hmm. uh, cultural on many different levels and many different facets, different levels of culture. What are some of the common misconceptions or myths um, around this either age group um, around the students that you see? And, and how are you addressing them? Um, I think one of the common misconceptions about these students, this particular age group, is that they're lost, that mm -hmm. they don't know who they are, that they don't have a strong sense of direction. Um, mm -hmm. We're another, we're an older generation. We're not the oldest, but we're older than that generation. And typically what tends to happen is when you're looking at the generation that's coming next, they're introducing mm -hmm. a lot of new things. And because they're introducing a lot of new concepts based on the world that they are now forming and growing up in, we tend to go against that grain as adults. Our parents did it to us and we're doing it to that next generation. So even though we're more of a younger intertwined generation than I feel like our parents were based just on sociological differences, right? You know, my parents mm -hmm. aren't here, they're from another country. It was different factors mm -hmm. that allow them to think the way that they do. I feel like we just have this, we don't believe in the next generation because mm. social media addicts and the rate of suicide going up and the, the, the way they are expressing themselves, sexuality, being mm. open. Like there's just so many misconceptions. And to be honest with you, they're brilliant, right? Because they're faster. They're receiving information at a speed that we yeah. didn't have the opportunity to. Um, very logical, right? Mm -hmm. And they want to be themselves. They don't want to put it, be put inside of a box or a square mm -hmm. or an oval. They want to have the opportunity to express themselves the way they see fit based on the world that they're living in. Mm -hmm. Which is a world that we don't we didn't grow up in as a child. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And just the awareness that they have, you know, we assume that they're I assume that all teenagers love to be on social media and like they're all addicted to social media and they're all watching Cardi B and Nicki Minaj and Meg Thee Stallion 
And sometimes I introduce topics um, before we start our coursework. Like, well, what do you think about social media? How is social media impacting your generation? Let's have a debate. And a lot of them feel like even though social media is giving us an opportunity to be more connected to each other and to have more information, it's having a negative effect on the population. But guess what? We're not speaking to them. We're not hmm. inviting them on our podcast. We're not mm -hmm. asking them what they think. We just assume that they're like what we see on social media. It's, it's mm -hmm. a very cool phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. And this, I, I, I'm seeing the connection here with your political science background also and the way social media mm -hmm. is impacting the students and then the way that they even, with political activism, the way they even show up, right? And it, it is not, you're, you're very right when you say this, that our ways of thinking about these things from generations before, right? So the generations that, that is coming up and the way that I see them banding together mm -hmm. uh, for, for activism is it, 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 a lot of it doesn't matter on some of the things that we thought were important. Mm -hmm. They don't care about what you look like, what you what kind of sexuality, they don't care about any of that. If you are with my cause and I'm with your cause, then we're going to be on this together. Definitely. And that, yeah, and that is so beautiful that that we're seeing these things. So when you say this, then I thought, wow, that political science background is also coming through with the way social media and then the way they form these groups and then the way that activism is happening as well. Yeah, and also, well, also I'm also speaking to the new academics that are coming up too. You know what I mean? We're in college. We're Say in a, more about that. Yeah, we're we're in a we're we're we are inside of an academic bubble too. Uh -huh. There are youths outside of the bubble, and that's the yes. youth that are framing how we see all of them, right? So mm -hmm. we have the at risks. We have even sometimes I get students that are in gangs. You know, they have to go to college because their parents said so, and they come to class high or something. And mm -hmm. the approach that I have, because I'm younger, I guess, is that I want to sit down and talk to them. Like, so is this what you yeah. want to do with your life? You know what I mean? I get to be a little bit more than just an adjunct professor to them because I was them just a little while ago. So I get it. I get the social yeah. pressures, pressures, I get the financial pressures, I get the identity pressures, I get all of the pressures. So I get why you're choosing to do this, but now I also have the opportunity to be transformational in mm -hmm. their lives as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that speaks to one of your, um, one of the values and principles as we talked about in, in a previous conversation. When you, when you say that, um, and I have a quote from you that I that I took from before, uh, you, that you continue to raise the bar for for yourself and how you meet the needs of others, understanding that no one can do better for our communities like we can. Mm -hmm. And your suggestion is to take the risk, invest in you, and become a game changer. But you're also in, investing in yourself. You're also showing that to the students that you're talking about directly, because as you're investing in yourself and saying, "I understand you. I've been there. I've, I've seen this, and I can also see where you can go." further, faster, you know, with this, you don't have to do this. That's exactly speaking to some of the values and principles that you have and that you demonstrate in your own work 
how else, if, if we're on this side, how else can we demonstrate or how else can we uh, bridge the gap there? Uh, so one of the things that I'm doing that's different that I haven't done before is I recently got into a partnership deal with the public library. I have yes. not been inside of a community public library since I was a child. The only libraries I've been inside of outside of that was school, right? Colleges, right? <laughs> Um, and they actually gave me the opportunity to come in because I'm an academic and because I'm an entrepreneur to do one of my entrepreneurship boot camps with children in the community. Tell there us more about these. Yeah. So I'm going in and do, I'm going to do a, um, probably a, a, a version of the entrepreneurship bootcamp and pitch competition for teens that my nonprofit hosts. I'm doing a workshop instead. So there is no competition. There is no grant money, but we're going to go through the same series where we're going to go through passion and purpose. Who are you? What is your passion? What is your purpose? And then what I do is allow them to take that and then put a lens on the community and say, okay, Look at your community. Look at what happens on your block every single day. What would you fix? Mm. Anything, whatever. What yeah. do you see? Because I can't see the world from your point of view. So I want to know what you see. And then we do projects like, well, how would you fix it? Because business is all problem solving. Yeah. So... I want them to start thinking about the community not as this like place that you just exist, right? A lot of children just think about their communities. I just exist here. I wake up here. I go to the store, the corner store. I have friends here. But they don't look at it like, hmm, there's always people on the corner. I wonder what they're doing there. Or, hmm, these kids keep getting hit by a car every summer. Like, hmm. I wonder if we get a like something to slow the traffic down or... I cannot stand the garbage that is constantly on my street. Like, who can I talk to to get this yeah. off the street? Like, get their win their wheels spinning on yeah. how they can contribute to society versus just existing in society and taking from it too, which is human nature. Yeah, it, really. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I absolutely love that idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then you're you're make your it's the accountability piece as well, right? So mm -hmm. uh, we can complain all we want. But mm -hmm. what are you doing to change it? What are you doing to make it better? And then how are we making our society better? How are you making You just start with your community. Mm -hmm. And that's where it starts, really, is at home. And we've heard this time and time again. It starts at home. Transportation starts at home. Right? So then you're showing them how to do this and then how to even create a wider network and then wider sustainability, wider changes. And that is awesome. I love that idea. Yeah, yeah. I love that. So tell us, so you have this nonprofit. What's the name of your nonprofit? It's called Building Young Moles. Building Young Moguls. So you have this nonprofit, Building Young Moguls. Tell us more about this, this nonprofit. So you've already been um, invited to come into the, the library for a more public space for, with the, within the community. But what else do you do? So uh, Building Young Moguls is a nonprofit organization that wants to use entrepreneurship education as a vehicle to transform at-risk youth. Right, that's our purpose. And um, one of the things that we do, um, which we started to do, I did it in COVID. I started in COVID-19. I was home. I got laid off. Of course, the semester ended. They was like, look, enrollment is low. There's no classes. So 
oh, you need a semester off. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I miss my teaching. I'm not teaching anymore. I'm bored to death. I was like, why don't I do a boot camp where I teach kids how to develop a business idea, teach them about liability, nonprofits, all these things I know, put it inside a curriculum, teach it to them. And at the end, they come up with a business idea and they pitch it. And we'll give them seed money to start it. It's not a lot of money. Um, the first place grant winner wins $500. The second place grant winner wins $350. And the third place grant winner wins $250. So I'm not thinking anything of it. So I'm like, whatever. I put some marketing together. I put it on my Facebook, my Facebook page, my Instagram page. And I get like 20 children to enroll. Realistically, it made sense. It was the right time. No one had didn't know what to do. The kids were bored yeah. at home. It was like the perfect time. So parents started enrolling their children in the program and it was like kind of like a um it was a beta so i charged 40 bucks so i'm like everybody 40 dollars, whatever put your child in the program we're gonna do it for four weeks i was crazy 40 dollars for four <laughs> weeks for like 20 kids for like two hours it was wild so i called like some of my friends and i say hey do you want to be a coach in a program and they're like yeah this sounds dope i want to be a part of it i'm like cool whatever we're not yeah. gonna do it it ends up being this like big thing, like this, the pitch competition had like hundreds of people on the line. We had like influencers coming on to be judges, like teen influencers too, that made like lip gloss or whatever. They're like, oh yeah, I'm going to be a judge. And it just became yeah. this thing. And um, I said, wow, I have something here. So I kept doing it again. But then I started extending it because now I'm looking at the curriculum and I'm reworking it now, right? So now it's four mm -hmm. weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. Now we're at 12 weeks and I have a more comprehensive program. And um, that's what I normally do. So it's all virtual. So we get kids from Arkansas, um, Louisiana. I'm in Jersey, Brooklyn, Jersey. We get kids from yeah. all over through social media, running ads. And they come on and sit with me and my team for... 12 weeks and mm -hmm. come up with these concepts and have these hard conversations. And what I'm realizing with building young moguls is that we're building not just brands, we're building purpose-driven brands. So mm -hmm. they all, because we're doing these exercises where you have to look at yourself, you have to look at the community, you have to look at your demographic. They're all building something that's like nonprofit-wise or... Yes self self love or like anti bullying campaigns like they're all coming up with these things mm -hmm. it's amazing and we've we've taught a hundred like about a hundred children so far since 2020 so we mm -hmm. only run twice we only run it twice because I, I don't i teach and i have a job yeah. so i only have the capacity to run it twice a year and it's just very rewarding each and every time we do a pitch competition we got sponsors from the jets um, Starbucks, um, yeah, Geico. It just became something that mm -hmm. I still don't even understand what it is right now. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And then the the instant success is awesome. And then how it's just repeating and repeating, so you know that it's something that's going to be sustainable. Yeah, yeah. So in these conversations that you have with the young moguls, I know there there has to be conversations about. Uh, failure and criticism, how to accept this. And and um, because we're not all going to win right at, at the very beginning. So what what are what are some of these conversations and how do you have these conversations about about the hard things with them? Um, so sorry about that. So what we do, um, 
I have someone come in and talk about anxiety. Um, I talk to them about failure a lot because, I mean, I gave you the synthesized version because we only have but so much time. But the first half of my life was filled with a lot of failure, a lot of setback, a lot of life stuff that I went through as a youngster um, that I believe makes me relatable. And Mm -hmm. one second. That's okay. We can say hi to him too. He's a, he's gonna be a young local soon. <laughs> yes, um, that makes um that makes me relatable. And one of the things I told them is that like, look, like, listen, you may not. Some of them worry about failing, right? Some of them, like my mother, put me yeah. in here. She thinks I hate school, and I'm like they said it in my. She said it in my video, and I was like, wow. And she was like, you know, even though people think I I hate school, I actually like school, and it's like, it's okay to go through the trials and tribulations of trying to find what you like. And and one of the things I like to tell my students too is like, our approach to education is very old and dated. It's based on the industrial revolution. It's not, we're making it better as time evolves, but the the foundation from which our educational system was created is based on a dated system, right? So I don't want you to look at what you can't handle right now and what you're not getting a grasp on, but think about what you could be, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that failure, failure actually brings you closer to who you want to be, mm-hmm. right? It kind of mm-hmm. guides you a little bit like, uh, failed here, okay, I'm going to try this. Failed here, I'm going to try this. Like, you know what I mean? It's just a, it's just trials and tribulations that's a part of life and it's not something that you can really, you have to grow from it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you teach them, you teach them how to accept criticism, how to accept these failures and then get back up. Yeah. And use it as a learning experience. Yeah, they say all the time, like, look, I spent eight hours making this, pre- I had a 10-year-old come. She said, I spent eight hours making my presentation. I'm happy I even got this opportunity. I don't even care if I win the grant. Like this was so rewarding to me because think about it. They're not trying to create something that that's not coming from them. They're creating things that are directly from Mm -hmm. them. So even if they don't win the grant, they feel self-fulfillment fulfillment because when they get to that final presentation and they finally have this thing that they put together, they're so proud of themselves, even Mm -hmm. though they didn't win. So they don't even look at it like failure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not all of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How has all of this shaped you and your growth? Because I know it has to have some effect. Yeah. I, I mean, I think as a parent, mm-hmm. it shaped my approach to my daughter. You know, I have a daughter mm-hmm. and I have a son, but my daughter is older. She's eight years old. Um, for a long time, growing up, I thought that I had to, I thought that I was less than when I failed. Hmm. I thought that life was over when I failed. I thought that there was a way I was being perceived when I wasn't the smartest person in the mm-hmm. class. You know what I mean? And that put me through a lot of depression um, at a very young age. And I find that building your moles is very therapeutic for me because I get to pour into children that are a reflection kind of who I was. I see myself in all of them, no matter where they come from. Um and it is very rewarding 
I know teachers say it all the time. Like, it's not about the money. It's the experience. Like, I get it. It's rewarding to pour into the next generation. And I just want to be better and learn more so that I can give it to them. Yeah. Now I have a reason to want to learn and read and research and go to these networking events that I don't want to go to because I'm an introvert, but I have to go to because I get these opportunities to work with other young people. But it's all worth it because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's about the young people um, that are in my program. And most of them are, are at risk. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned depression that you went through. Would you like to tell us a little bit about that? And because I know we see a lot of students and a lot of young people now talking about anxiety and depression and all of that. Do you see that with some of the students and some of the young moguls that you work with? And if you do, how, what, what what's the message you tell them? What do you tell them? I mean, absolutely. Um, I see it all the time. I lost my mother when I was 13. So I lost her. She died in eighth grade, December. And then from eighth grade, this time I had to finish off the year. And then I went into a whole new school because I'm going into high school without a mom, moving out of my childhood home, going from a huge family to a much smaller family. My, my mother and my grandmother died a year apart. So there was a lot of change that was happening with me at the time. And I hated school. I just didn't fit inside of the high school experience. Yeah the way other children did. I feel like um, I didn't didn't struggle academically because I always kind of retained information or whatever was able to do that. But I cut school a lot. You know, I went through teen pregnancies. You know, we look at young people and we forget that there are a lot of real life things that they're going through that most adults have never been through before. You know, mm-hmm. most of my friends that I talk to at this big age, <laughs> they've never had an abortion before. You know, I've been there, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of these kids, they're doing it, you know, and their mm-hmm. parents, my parents had no idea that I've ever had an abortion in my life. Mm-hmm. I had three by the time yeah. I was 17 throughout my high school um, career, you know what I mean? And it's like, everyone, instead of them finding out and getting to know like, okay, there's something wrong they just thought that I was just wild. Mm. I see it. I see it with these young people. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. no one gives them the opportunity to say, nobody sits down and say, are you okay? What's going on in your life? I was that teen. So when yeah. these young moguls are coming into my program, a lot of them having a problem with reading out loud, simple things that most of the time may get cast aside by a parent that doesn't have time that's dealing with real life issues, I tell them, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay for you to be afraid. Mm-hmm. It's okay for you to feel like you're not doing your best. I felt like I wasn't doing my best from ninth grade to 12th grade. It's okay. Like, you know, I try my best to meet them where they are because all I see in them is the little girl that I was that was completely lost. No one had any promise for me. There was no college. There was no, no one thought that that was going to happen for me. I had to make it happen mm-hmm. for myself. And I try to encourage them that even though you're going through situations right now, because they have really serious stories when they start sharing, they open up and BYM. 
you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. able to tell them that your vulnerability in these situations that you're so ashamed of are going to be the things that get you to the next level, just like mm-hmm. it did. It's going to redeem you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you move forward from everything from ninth grade to 12th grade and then end up going to college? Uh, in 12th grade, I failed. I didn't graduate on time. So um, that was a big hit. I'm not going to lie. Me not walking gradu- in graduation was like, okay, I have to do something. So, mm-hmm. so uh, it was like one credit that I missed and I didn't walk and everybody knew I didn't walk and I was super embarrassed and my father was super yeah. upset and it was like crazy. Um, mm-hmm. I went to John Jay. I got a scholarship still to go to a school, actually. Uh, my father mm-hmm. was not supportive of that. And then I went on to Meg Evans College. I found it. I was walking down the street and I was like, what's this? And then I went into the school and I told them my situation and they enrolled me mm. and they didn't ask any questions. And I started with remedial classes, even though I didn't, I was overqualified for it. And that school, it was a PBI, a predominantly black institution, small school. And that experience allowed me to be myself connect with the right circle of people to network network of people that I needed and mm-hmm. the right mentors and college was really what my high school experience should have been but I've got all I got all of that support in my college experience yes from a small CUNY school yeah yeah that's awesome that's awesome. I started off at a small community college too. I am an advocate for community colleges and trades. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Damn. <laughs> it saves you some money. It lets you figure some things out. It lets you get some clarity on where you're trying to go. I am an advocate for trade schools and community colleges for oh, yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Especially in this developmental phase mm-hmm. that, we, that we go in from high school to college or even in the in between if you, if you take a, a gap here. I'm definitely, yeah, uh, an advocate for those um, those spaces for us to sort some things out and think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're doing a lot of things. You're doing a lot. Of, you're wearing a lot of hats. Um, how are you doing this well? And and I know the kids keep you motivated and your communities keep you motivated, but what else? What else keeps you going? I mean, I have a really good team. So I've learned that if I don't build a team, then none of this is going to be possible anyway. Yeah. Building Young Moguls has a staff of 12 people Mm -hmm. who make that whole program go around, and I really rely on them. And I also give them opportunities so that they can grow and go on to do the things that they want to do as well. You know, a lot of the staff members are some of the children that participated in the entrepreneurship boot camp program that have gone on to big universities, but still come and work for me every cycle um, in different capacities. So that has been truly helpful. And I really had to learn how to let go. I didn't trust that I was able to run a team. I didn't think I had those leadership qualities because my business was, I was a solopreneur in my business that I started. You know, you're hustling, whatever, right? You're you're a solopreneur and Building Young Moguls allowed me to see how much I've grown and and learned from my first business that I applied to Building Young Moguls that I still haven't applied to mine, but I apply it 
to building a mold. And I think that's why the yeah. growth there is exponentially higher. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, that's awesome. Building your team, collaboration. Oh, yeah. Community. Yes. Letting go. <laughs> Yes. Letting letting go. That, yes. That's that's hard for solopreneurs. Um, the attachment, you know, to your vision and to your dream and to your baby. And then, yeah, yeah that's hard. And I understand that letting go and giving someone else that that uh, delegating those responsibilities and trusting that they also will grow it the way that you uh, you want it to be grown and the, the vision that you see because you see something far greater. Yeah. And yeah, than others can imagine. So I, I totally understand that. Mm-hmm. So in in the business and in these spaces, uh, these community spaces, what what trends or developments um, are particularly exciting that you that you are seeing right now? Are there any um, in terms of like trends? I, yeah, educational spaces, uh, your community spaces, anything. Um, anything that you're seeing is there is there anything exciting that that's on the horizon that you're like yes i can see this developing um oh absolutely my job actually uh i'm going into high schools as an adjunct um uh one of the things i am gonna i'm teaching my developmental course that i normally teach um i've been doing very well so they're like the kids love you're going into high schools to represent us this is what's gonna happen but one of the things that the programs, particularly in New York, are asking for, they're asking for entrepreneurship. Really? Yes. So there's a grant in New York. forgot the name of it. Um, there's a grant that the principals have access to where they get to choose the courses that they think their school would benefit from. And entrepreneurship is overwhelmingly becoming one of the top priorities for high school students. Wow. Interesting because when I decided to build Building Your Moguls or do the workshops, I didn't do a comparative analysis on what was to be. So I didn't know that my nonprofit would be at the forefront or ahead of what these, what what people want right now in the schools. Mm -hmm. I mean, and they're wanting it as young as middle school. So that's a trend. Um, entrepreneurs are becoming overwhelmingly important to the next generation. Yeah. Because they're the creators and they have ideas and the principals understand that. Like, okay, so for example, in the New York City DOE, one of the things that they're also trying to do is they're trying to allow students to graduate with two-year degrees when they graduate with a high school diploma. Okay. What that does is mitigates the chances or it decreases loans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're all trying to find a way around it. We don't want them to be like us. We don't, we don't want Yeah, them. the financial burden. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, even with that in mind, that's also changing. But entrepreneurs today have an opportunity now in the school system, something that we really you really didn't have that in the past. And when you're at that intersection between entrepreneurship and academia, you have a real opportunity to go inside the schools and pitch your ideas like podcasts and all of these things to the principals. And they're allowing you to get access to the students to start working for them and giving you access to their budget. Cause I'm a DOE vendor. Hmm. 
That's awesome. Yeah, something for them. That is awesome. Yeah. And also the way that, that the way we understand work and yes. the way that we understand jobs, all of that is changing. Yes. So as, yeah, so that trend is changing also with the perception of the way that we're conceptualizing job or work or this work-life balance or whatever that, you know. Oh, yes. Yeah, all of that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you'll have to keep us updated on where that's going, yes. what that looks like. Yes, for sure, with Building Young Moguls and, and all of the other stuff that you have going on because you could really be ingrained in this space and changing the landscape of what this looks like. Yeah. It, yeah. Not only in New York, but in other states as this continues to, to roll out. Yeah. I actually wanted to do my, I want to do my PhD. My cousin, she has her PhD. I'm sorry. Okay, give me a second. I'm sorry. Hi, honey. That's okay. Put him up here so we can see him. Say he hi. can join the conversation. <laughs> okay, um, give me a second. Go ahead. He just wants to be a part of it. Okay. Yes. Um, my cousin, she has a PhD. She teaches at Emory University. Um, and she travels to Costa Rica to do a lot of her research. Um, she's uh-huh. tenure now. And she is pushing me like, you have to do your PhD. Like you can use your nonprofit as a base to do your research. Yes. And I'm like, and she said, you can focus on the business and focus on like, you can do it. But as a, as a PhD professor, she can see that. Yes. I can't, I'm, I'm struggling um, but I definitely want to go in because I do want the opportunity in a space once my businesses are in a, in a place where they are sustainable and they can just work on their own, like ever, Evergreen, right? Um, without me, I would like the opportunity to do my PhD, to conduct more studies because other countries like Hong Kong, even though their political system is different from ours, they follow an entrepreneurship education blueprint. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, and just studying and going there and being able to study how they structure their systems and their institutions. Like, that's something that I really want to do because we have something. This generation has definitely uncovered something that is going to look very different in the next 15 yeah. to 20 years. And you're correct in work and all of the careers. It's yeah. going to shape, reshape everything that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And your cousin is absolutely right. You can. <laughs> you can use all that you have done yeah. in order to, yeah, in order to inform your study and your dissertation. Uh, so I'm a qualitative researcher, right? So that is, yeah, you absolutely can do that. And if you, yeah, and if you have the, um, if you have the guidance, you don't necessarily need to see hmm. what it looks like from the end. We already see what it looks like mm. in the end. Mm-hmm. We, you just need to trust. Trust us that, you know, whoever's going to guide you will guide you toward the end. Yeah. And because you may not even see what it looks like until later. And even after it's written, I didn't see, I didn't see what I was doing and the way that I was being guided until a couple years later. Wow. Right? So, yeah. So I just had a publication that was accepted first round, no revisions. But I, I didn't see that a couple of years ago when I started to write the thing. Yeah. But with my mentor, she was like, no, you have to write this. You have to. And I was like, no, hmm, 
really? It doesn't even. And she was like, no, write it, write it. And so I wrote and I took my time and wrote it. But then when I submitted, she's like, it's ready now. And I submitted and it was accepted. And that is unheard of. With no revisions, first time accepted in a, in a, a top tier publication journal. Wow. Yeah. And she's like, you don't even really see what's happening here. And I'm like, I really don't. And so she's like, you'll begin to see soon what's happening. And I'm just now beginning to see the work that I did with my dissertation is the work that's informing the work that I do now. Mm -hmm. Right. So I started CNN slate in the pandemic, too. But it was with the idea that, one, there's there's a need for advocating for a research journal and to journal and to work through a lot of the things that we go through in academia. Mm -hmm a lot of the psychological issues that we go through. Even in high school, you saw this in high school, that we go through. There is a need to have a space to unpack these feelings, unpack these thoughts, unpack these doubts, unpack these fears, unpack all of it. Mm -hmm. So that is where I started because I used a research journal because my, my grad school experiences were a bit traumatic and mm -hmm. me going to a, a predominantly white space mm -hmm. and me wanting to do um, something outside of the norm in that predominantly white space and being hit with so many barriers and so much resistance to what I wanted to do. I, my study largely focuses on Black women and psychosocial development, spirituality, sexuality. I'm trying to do that. They want you to do something within the box and mm -hmm. go ahead and get this done. And it was like, no. So CNN and Slate, like you, started in the pandemic because I saw the need and I saw what it did for me. Mm. And then through, through CNN and Slate, now it's the coaching with the journaling and all of these things. But it's it's my entire framework that I created in grad school. And now it's really coming and developing into its own. So I say that to say that all of the things that you are doing is preparing you for the next step. Although you may not see the next step and someone may see it that's in your circle or that's mentoring you, yeah. allow them to see that for you and to hold that space and to hold that vision for you until you're able to see it. Because mm -hmm. if we don't and if we walk away from it prematurely, mm -hmm. then it never gets developed. And it just sits there and sits there. And then five, ten years, you may be like, huh, I wonder if. And then... It can be developed, you know, when it's time. But if there's someone, mentorship is, is super important. Yeah. And you're showing this to your to your young moguls. You're showing mentorship. But we also need as coaches and as uh, counselors and healers and therapists and these people in these helping spaces, in these community spaces, we also need someone to pour into us yeah. and to mentor us. Yeah. So if your cousin sees the vision, ask them what is the vision. <laughs> yeah, I need to ask more questions. I think one of my fears is my children. Yeah. She's like, this is the best time. Like, they're young. So when they, you're done, they're done. I'm like, really? And she's like, yes, I see it all the time. Like, she's every yeah. time she's like, yes, you have to do it. You have, I'm like, that's the only fear I have um, is my children and going back to school. I can't even imagine being a student in that capacity again. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And this this is how our initial meeting happened 
Yes. When we, yeah, when we met on Facebook. <laughs> yes. And you said, I really want to do this. And I'm like, you can. Let's have this conversation. Yes. Yeah. So there are ways to do it if you want to do it. Um, it's, it's not for everyone, mm -hmm. right? But if you have that desire, mm -hmm. and you have the desire, right, to do it and then to advance, then in the right timing, it will happen. And you'll know. You'll know when it's when it's time. Yeah. Thank you'll you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we just got off on a little tangent there, but that's okay. <laughs> it needed to be said. It needed to be said. Is there anything else on your heart that, that is drawing you to share in our, in our space that maybe our listeners can, uh, one last nugget or a, a takeaway message that you're like, if, 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 if they go away listening to this and don't hear anything else I say, what might that be? One of the things that I would say now that I'm exploring myself is that is the power of vulnerability in this space mm. of entrepreneurship. Um, a lot of times we're trying to be like everybody else or trying to be this person that is like seen at a certain level. And I feel like I'm becoming more powerful um, in all that I'm doing because I'm tapping more into yeah. the things that I've been through and accepting that those are the things that have shaped me into this person that other people are out there looking for, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Clients, right? We're all trying to penny pinch and I've done that. I've, I'm the hustle and flow. Me, yes, all day, 100%. Yeah. But now that I'm walking in me, in my everything, in my essence, in my purpose, yeah. I realize that I'm attracting more than I'm chasing. Mm -hmm. And once we're able to do that, that's when you're once you're able to do that, that's where your true power is gonna yeah. come from and you're gonna see your true potential. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautifully said. Beautifully said. When you find out you know, and you're not thinking of what others are thinking and what do they want me to do and, you know, all of that. When you find out, and then that's also where um, stress <laughs> kind of diminishes. You're going to have the, the stress of the work, mm -hmm. but the stress of being, the stress mm -hmm. of, oh, my God, I need to do this, 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 like you said, chasing, that diminishes a bit as well. Yes. And you kind of rest, mm -hmm. rest in who you are. And it's, it's so beautiful and it feels so good mm -hmm. when you can do that. Yeah, okay. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So before we sign off, we have this um, section called Off the Cuff. And our, our listeners and viewers just send in a random question. And so uh, your question for today is from Janine from Kansas City, Missouri. And she asks, do you have any weird superstitions? <laughs> um, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if it's a superstition. So I went through this whole this. Thank you, Janine from Kansas, for opening up because my friends are gonna be like, "You said that." So I went through this whole like my first therapist, uh, the big advocate for therapist. He was a spiritual guy. Um, and he was into numerology and everything. So one of the superstitions that I got from that time is every time that I see certain sequential numbers in certain mm. sequences, I 
feel like my life is falling apart. Or if I saw another one, I I think that my life is going great, right? So um, one of the things that I was nervous about is seeing 666. So every time I will see that number sequence, I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Uh, Something bad is going to happen. It was just the weirdest thing. And um, that was probably one of my huge superstitions. I'm not really one to believe, like, if you put your bag on the floor, you're going to be broke. Like, I was never that one because I thought that was ridiculous. But the 666, like, I truly at one point believed that something negative was going to happen. So, yes, Jenny, that was (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a pretty common one. Yeah. And 13 as well, right? So people think that the number 13 is unlucky. (laughs) Thank you for playing along. I do appreciate that. And shout out to Janine for submitting the question. If you want to submit a question for the off the cuff uh, segment, then send them to hello at Sienna and Slate. But before we sign off, I want to first thank Dana for uh, hanging out with us and sharing some some really good nuggets uh, for sure, and in, in your and also your vulnerability and sharing your own story. Um, how can we support you? Where can we find you? How can people follow you? Let us know. Sure. So you can support my uh, my personal brand, Dana Cannon Bryson, by following me on Instagram. Mrs. D.C. Bryson, um, and then also on Facebook, Dana Cannon Bryson, as well as LinkedIn, same name, Dana Cannon Bryson. For my nonprofit, if you want to support, donate, join, offer your expertise, come spend time with teens virtually with us. You can follow us. Um, you can check out our website, www.buildingyoungmoguls.org, or you can visit us on social media, Instagram young underscore moguls underscore inc or facebook building young moguls as well fantastic and all of these links will be in the show notes so you can just click right directly to connect with dana and you can support her in any way that you see fit we send you all the love for you and your business thank you so much um as we end our time thank you for listening and watching please subscribe to the show Share it with a friend. I'll leave a review and a five-star rating and follow us on social media as well. If you have an idea for the show or would like to be a potential guest or are interested in learning more about Sienna and Slate, then hit us up at hello at siennaandslate.com. And as always, be well. Mm-hmm.